it's just really good to be a pastor. <laughs> and this is one of those days. So all, all the rumors about me resigning last week that I started, not true. None of them are true <laughs> as of today. So grateful for it. Um, today, we're, we're going to do part six of a 12-part series. Anybody believe the summer is half over? And it started two weeks ago, right? <laughs> it was like fall. It was October. So um, we're going to start with Romans chapter 8. Didn't Pastor uh, Carl do a fabulous job last week? Wow. I was, I'm watching him setting it up. I'm like, oh, oh, I know this story, and yet he's telling it again in a way that's so beautiful. So it begins with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, starts with the word, therefore. I've taught you this for years, but I'm going to ask you, and this is a quiz time. When you see the word, therefore, what is the one question you must always ask? What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore is connective tissue. In other words, he's not saying just because of the last sentence, but everything I've said up till now is now taking a turning point. And, and throughout the book of Romans, you'll see the word therefore at the beginning of most chapters because he's building a case as if, as if an attorney, as if uh, uh, someone who was, was trying to convince people of a certain truth, he's literally building a case. So in chapters one through three, he built the case for sin. He used creation. He used the obviousness of a creative God. He, he used uh, idolatry. Um, he got everybody good and lost. Chapter one, we all pointed the finger at the bad people we know. Chapter two, he, he hit us with, you know, you're, you're not that great either. Um, I'm gonna, not going to say what I've been saying the last few weeks because you're not allowed to say the word suck in church. But, but uh, in the, you know, by the time you get to chapter three, all have sinned. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And then he builds a case for righteousness, but not righteousness based on obeying the law, but righteousness in trusting the one who fulfilled the law. So righteousness by faith. It's not about trusting God enough to do everything perfect so that I'm perfect, so that I can live in a perfect heaven perfectly forever. It's about trusting the perfect one who came from heaven and died for me. And even as Abraham, the hero, the, the O-T-O-G, uh, the, the, the Old Testament original gangster, man, this guy, he, he believed God, and the Bible says it was credited unto him as righteousness. So he's saying, listen, before the law, there was a guy that was righteous because he trusted God. Now, the law told us what to do, what not to do, kept us from really killing too many people and you know, committing too much adultery. At least, at least it taught us what not to do, so we knew clearly what not to do, and there was one moral standard, but the law was never intended to make you righteous. That which made you righteous before the law is that which makes you righteous through Christ, and that is simply trusting God. How many of you guys know that the throne, when Jesus comes in all of his glory and, and inhabits the new heavens and the new earth, he'll be sitting on a throne. Anybody know what the name of the throne is? It's called the throne of, of David. Now, was David a perfect man? Bathsheba. Was David a perfect man? You know, Uriah murdering his husband. Was David a perfect man? No. So why is he sitting on the throne of an imperfect man? Because God says through faith, I get to tell the story the way I tell the story. He believed God just like Abraham did. And, and God said, you're righteous. Listen, the harder we try to obey everything, it seems like the less I'm able to obey anything. And so by the time we got to chapter 7, there's the questions and answers. And he's very clear. He goes, listen, I want to do good. It's me, my, my spirit man that's born again. It's me, my soul man that's this being born again, being transformed by the renewing of my mind. And it's me, my flesh man that's condemned to die, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And all three are me. And he goes, what I want to do, I don't do. There's good in me, and I want to obey the law. But there, there's, every time I do, there's sin right there within me. So He's trying to help us understand that there's, there's a different dynamic. And then we get to Romans chapter 8, and, and he, says, he says this, therefore, therefore. Now, now, please hear me. If you've gotten this thus far, then you realize. Like, if you can trust God for what we've learned so far, everybody look right here. If you've been able to trust God for what we've learned so far, you're farther than most people I know that call themselves Christians. Yeah. 
because most people are still kind of living the, the Old Testament, New Testament hybrid. If you're good enough, you get to go to heaven versus if he's good enough, I get to bring heaven to earth. Right? Most, I mean, you agree with that? Most people are still wrestling with the fundamentals of salvation. And, and even though many of them are saved, they, they don't walk in the joy of it, the peace of it. He who the sun sets free better watch himself or he's still going to hell. Like, not what the Bible says. He who the sun sets free, help me out, is free indeed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, like the center of freedom is, well, you're in it right now. Freedom center. Hey, you thought if you gave better, you get better jokes? It's not the way it works. Still got me. All right. So here's, here's a question, and it's simply this. Is it possible that after salvation by the grace of God through trusting Jesus, a relational trust in a person who's good enough to, to save me, to forgive me, to die for me, to raise from the dead for me, to give me all things by his spirit, like is, is, is it possible that there's even more? Now, I'm going to warn every person here. Um, if there's any criticism we take willingly, it's that the teachings at the Freedom Center are not necessarily as deep or as meaty as some would like, especially seasoned Christians. One of the reasons for that is because we're always trying to reach people that have no understanding of the gospel. Um, we, we believe that one of the things God's anointed us to do and therefore called us to do and we're therefore responsible to do is reach people that have, that have never been reached with the truth of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? In some ways, we're a missionary congregation. So, and I would say this, I don't think there's anything deeper God's ever gonna do than to make somebody born again. I make no apologies. But I do have an explanation. But today, I'm gonna warn you. Today, if, if you don't chew before you swallow, you're gonna choke on this. You're gonna have to take what is taught today and chew it up. You're, this is not a, you know, a pre-chewed food. How, how many guys have ever gone all the way back to the origins of your meal? I was in Mexico one time, and they said, hey, we're gonna have a barbecue. I'm like, great. How many guys know that barbacoa was like invented by the Spaniards? And I'm all for this. Like, let's, let's get her done. And they said, okay, we need to do some preparations for tomorrow's barbecue. They handed me a rope and said, go get the cow and kill it and bring it here. How many guys know I'd rather go to the store? And my sense of adventure is use a coupon, you know, like, hey, that was really Wow. So me and like five other Americans go to get this cow that is totally defensive until it's not anymore. I mean, sorry, it was totally defensive. Oh, don't hurt me, don't hurt me, I'm a cow. It changed like, no, this is, this is no bull. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you, I'm going to kill you. So we don't know how to wrangle. And this thing water skis us through cactus. This thing, like, we had two ropes on it. And I'm yelling at the guys, like from here to the, like the, the sound room up there, and I'm yelling, hey, he had a 22 rifle. Bring it down here and kill this thing. He shouts something back in Spanish, which isn't helpful. <laughs> so I look at my translator's next, and he starts laughing. I said, Dave, what did he say? He says, he doesn't want to shoot the cow in front of the other cows because it will upset them. <laughs> I'm like, you're just laughing at, at us getting beat up by an animal, right? Finally, this thing goes into a cactus patch. We shoot it, and we eat it and it's glorious. Now, I tell you that story to say this. You're going to have to wrestle with this today. This is not prepackaged food. This is not burger that's been chopped into pieces for you. This is something you're going to have to chew. Can you get this? So if you've made it this far, which I believe some of you have, maybe many of you have, we're going to go even deeper. And we're going to get, it's going to get even better. The, the deeper we go in Christ, the better it gets. So don't settle for pre-chewed food, this, this bubbling cauldron of pre-digested mush that we spoon out and go, here, sweet, oh, it's so good, what is it? It's pre-chewed food. Like today, you're gonna have to wrestle with a cow. 
and get drugged through some cactus and shoot it in the head and chop it up and get your hands dirty. But I got to tell you something. When you, when you eat the steak, after looking in its eyes, it tastes that much. Actually, it was gross. It was terrible. But I, the analogy breaks down somewhere. So Paul's going to build the next pillar of his case. I'm going to teach you for the next five minutes. Can you do that? One, one section of scripture. Here we go. All right. Therefore, we're going to ask the question. What's the therefore? Therefore, we've already answered that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Now, condemnation, as Pastor Carl pointed out, doesn't mean guilt. It means penalty. It doesn't mean I feel so condemned. I feel so guilty. I feel guilty when I do things that make me on the wrong side of the law of God. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful for that pain because it's his kindness expressed in pain that leads me back to repentance. How many of you guys are grateful that God gave you nerves in your hand so when you lean up against the stove, you're not like, hey, it smells like bacon. I wonder what's going on. Like you, you feel the pain and you make the adjustment. There is no more penalty. Therefore, there is no penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there is a penalty for sin, but those who are in Christ Jesus have had someone take the penalty upon himself for us. That makes sense? That doesn't mean there's no consequences to sin anymore. Come on. You follow me? There are consequences to sin, both in the afterlife for those who don't know Christ and in this life for those who do. If I do bad things, if I walk out in the rain, I get wet whether I love Jesus or not. I break the laws, I break the rules, I break the heart of God, bad things happen. I open the door for bad things to happen. But here's the difference. Those who are in Christ are forgiven. They stand before God righteous. Let's continue. Um, There's now no condemnation, no penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because... Through Christ Jesus, there's two laws, the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. Because through Christ, in other words, I'm in this faith relationship with Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free. Say that with me. Has set you, say it again, has set you from the law of sin and death. We are no longer under the New Testament, Old Testament hybrid. It never existed. It's a myth. Are you going to heaven or hell? Heaven. Why? Because I'm a... A good person. That's the American answer. Being good has nothing to do with heaven or hell. Being innocent or being guilty is the issue to be solved. Through Christ, I become innocent. He took my guilt. I don't have any guilt anymore. Therefore, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? So look at this. It sets you free from the law of sin and death. Well, how does that work? Listen, this is the problem. Back to chapter 7. For what the law was powerless to do, I was powerless, because it was weakened by me. Not my spirit, not my soul, but my flesh. Are you still here? It's complicated. Are you chewing? Just wrestle with the bull, okay? Not that this is bull. Wrestle. It's an analogy, all right? It's an analogy. Good. For what the law was powerless to do because of me, that part of me that doesn't want to obey, cannot obey, will not obey, does not want to please God, it was weakened by by that part of me. But what the law was powerless to do, God did. Everybody say, God did. God did. How? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now, we're talking about an Old Testament picture, but a New Testament reality. When John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, sees Jesus, he has a testimony about it. He says, behold what? You remember? The Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins of the world. You get it? When he sees him, he goes, I know who you are. He's the Lamb of God. Oh, look how woolly he is. Isn't he snuggly? He's the carpenter's son. He's got hands like Muhammad Ali. He's not snuggly. He's got a beard. He's burly. He's a carpenter. And carpenters dealt with, with rock, with stone. They quarried. I mean, this, Jesus was not the Lamb of God. Isn't he sweet? No. Jesus could kick your butt. Christianity is so feminized. Stop it. Jesus could kick your butt. All right? And he wouldn't. Unless you're a Pharisee, then whatever. All right? 
He's the Lamb of God, right? So the, he, he comes in the flesh to, to die in his flesh for what our flesh did. Does this make sense? He's a sin offering. And so he condemned, not you, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. Did you guys get that? Jesus did in his flesh everything he did to undo what we did in our flesh. And I want to tell you this as well. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He's wounded for our transgressions. Blood flows outwardly for our outward acts of rebellion. He was wounded for our transgressions, pierced, and blood flowed out for our outward acts of disobedience. The second part of uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was also bruised for our iniquities. Well, what's a bruise? Does blood flow outwardly from a bruise? Blood flows where? So our inward nature, that, that, that me that doesn't look like Jesus, isn't born again, isn't being born again, transformed by your mind, but, but it, is, it stands opposed to God, doesn't want to obey, that sin that's always with me every time I want to do good, sin is right there with me, this part of me. He was bruised for our iniquities. You have to hear me. Not only did Jesus die for what you've done, Jesus died for who you are. Now, what I've done is forgiven. Who I am, I'm still wrestling with. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, anybody here, just out of curiosity, anybody still ever deal? I know it's rare, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but there might be a couple people here. Anybody here still deal with temptation? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you know why? You were, you were tempted to be afraid and you gave into it and there'll be an altar call at the end of the service for you to repent. So Jesus does this, guys. I want, you need to hear this. Your sin is condemned. The sinner's not. In faith. Now, this is not the global universally. This is for those who've come into this relational trust with Jesus Christ. I don't trust me. I don't trust my obedience to the law. I don't trust that I'm a good person. I trust Jesus Christ who came to this earth as a sin offering, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of Jim. I trust him to be everything I need for righteousness, for life eternal. I trust that he is the way, the truth, and life. He's the door. He's the shepherd. Without him, I'm lost. He's the vine. I'm the branch. Like, if you have that relationship, you're connected to Jesus. He's divine. You're the branch, right? If you have that, then you realize it's, it's not about, like, I'm being a good person. You have almost nothing to do. The only, the only thing you can activate that makes you go to heaven is faith. If you trust God, God loves that. God loves you either way. But loving somebody isn't the same as being able to save them. Anybody else got kids, grandkids, people you love? Loving them, I mean, guys, your love is enough to get them saved. It's not. They still have a free will. Even God's love is not enough to get the world saved. But God's love is enough to open a door named Jesus Christ that we could walk through and be saved. You still here? Look at this. Your sin is condemned. It's been judged by God. It's been punished through the body of Jesus, and it's been paid for in full. Now, you say, well, I don't know about that. Let me give you something that's cultural. You guys have been around for a long time. You recognize the, uh, the Aramaic phrase on the, on the board there. Um, if I were to borrow money off of one of you in the days of Jesus and in that culture, and let's say I wanted to buy the field next door, and I say, it's your field, I'd like to buy it. And they say, okay, I'll give you a land contract. I'll, I'll give you the field, and you pay me over a series of seven years, let's say. And, and, but the culture was such that at any time, the, the owner of the loan could recall the loan. So now we have like contracts that say you have seven years to repay or two years to repay or 30 years on a mortgage to repay. If any time the loan was called, 
the, the person who borrowed had to repay everything. So let's say that's $100,000, and I'm in year three, and for some reason the guy who owns it says, hey, I need all the money right now. You've paid $35,000, you owe me $65,000, and uh, I, I need it right now. And I go, oh, I can't. Matter of fact, not only can I not repay you, I sold that land to do something else, and, and I took the cash for that, and now it's, that money's gone. Well, that person who owns the land and, and now I, I'm indebted to, that land's been sold. It, it, he, he can't get it from me. He has the right then to take me before a magistrate or a legal court of Rome and say, this man borrowed $100,000, repaid thirty-five. dollars he owes me $65,000. And, and the magistrate said, you need to repay. I, I can't repay. Hey, man, come on, just give me some time. Like, help me, help me. I, I won't help you out. I need that money too. If I don't repay, I'm going to prison. Like, you've got to repay me right here, right now, or I'm sending you to jail. Well, I can't. And what ends up happening is that that person's property is then liquidated by the state, usually at you know, 50 denarii on the dollar. You know what I mean? It's, it's gone at half its value because it's a fire sale. And some of that money's raised, but there's a still an outstanding debt, let's say, of $50,000. I am sent to jail until such a time as the $50,000 is paid. It isn't a five-year sentence for, for money laundering. It isn't a four-year sentence for lying. It, it, it literally is until the debt is repaid, and if it's never repaid, you will never breathe another free breath for the rest of your life. And this prison is not like cable television and orange jumpsuits in a bathroom with a sink. It literally is a holding cell in a bucket. People go in the bucket, the bucket goes out the window, and the only way to get food, Rome didn't feed prisoners in the debtor's prison. What happened was people had to bring you bread. How many guys know if, if I'm 240 pounds and an 80-pound guy gets a loaf of bread, I'm eating and he's not? So in this environment, if, if food was passed through it, and, and the strong were there to take it from the weak, the weak got weaker until they died, which didn't bother Rome because that, that made people want to pay their bills. Are you getting this? But occasionally, from time to time, there was a generous person that would say, you know, I just, I, I have so much. I want to do good in the world. And he would go to the, to the jailer and he would say to him, show me the scrolls that, that have contained at the debts of those that are in your jail. And he could, if he chose to, say, I'm going to pay this one, this one, this one, this one. And when he did exchange the money, the debts were paid, the scroll that had everything that was owed attached to my name, he would write across it in large letters. Anybody know what would be written? Jesus is hanging on the cross. You know what the last words he said were? It's translated properly, it is finished. But you know, you know what culturally it means? Paid in full. What I'm trying to say to you is this. When Jesus dies on the cross, everything you'll ever do, everything you are, everything you continue to wrestle with, there is a liberal payment of perfection that covers all of our imperfections before a holy God. Now, you might be tempted to say, well, that's great. Um, it's a little hard to chew on. I feel like I'm wrestling with this because no one else loves me like this and no one's ever written that across my life. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what to do with it. There's no box. There's no content. Yeah, my mama loves me that way. No, she doesn't. She might act like she does, but she doesn't. Trust me, I'm a parent. She's doing the best she can. But even your mama don't love you that much. My wife loves me. My kid's like, maybe your dog, but beyond that. <laughs> no, nobody, right? Now he's going to do something even more amazing. Look at this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? He's going to take it a step farther, guys. Just keep chewing. You doing okay? Breathe in. Breathe out. Keep chewing. He, he's not stopping with salvation. 
He's not stopping with no condemnation. He's not stopping with the price Jesus paid. He's saying there's a relational paradigm that shifts from the Old Testament law of sin and death to the New Testament life of the Spirit. And that paradigm, you're no longer the people of God or the nation of Israel. You're his family. I don't know about you. I love my nation. But I got to choose my nation and my kids. My kids are going to be fine. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I have employees, if you will. I mean, they're, they're dear friends, so I don't mean to demean that. But, but if I have to choose between my employees and my children, I'm going to miss those employees. <laughs> they all, they, wait, what's that mean? Am I getting fired? I, I don't know. Just work with me, right? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Papa, Abba, Daddy God. Boy, I, I, the Old Testament is a series of judgments that God has to make about right, wrong, blessing, cursing. The New Testament is completely different. The New Covenant. Are you guys still here? I'm going to do my best to describe the impossible with human words, okay? When, when Jesus dies on the cross and raises from the dead and, and is now able to give the Spirit and people are born again by the Spirit, it's a completely different world, and, and, and I, I pray to God that you hear me. It's a completely different world. Life on this side of the cross is utterly different than life on that side of the cross. It, it's completely different. It's not adding Jesus to our life. It's a whole new life. It, it's, not, it's not painting over rust. It's getting rid of what's rusted and something brand new coming in its place. It, this fundamentally changes everything, and it gets better. Look at this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, so we know in our hearts that we're God's kids. Now, if we are children... Here's where you're really, you're going to choke, um, but try to chew. Will you do that with me? Then if you're children, he takes it a step farther, then we are what? Heirs, huh. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we'll get to that in a minute, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let me, let me, let me tell you a story. Let me help you illustrate the difference between a slave and a son. Once upon a time, everybody say once upon a time. Best story to start with once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a, a powerful, wonderful man who owned a factory. And the factory created one product, or at least it tried to, and that product was called righteousness. Every worker in this factory did what they could to create this product called righteousness because the, the one who owned the factory was a great and terrible but wonderful but benevolent but powerful you know, unapproachable, and so they, they did their best, and they all worked at their stations to do their part and connect this to that, and then they'd hand it down, and, but then it would break, and, then, and by the time it was done, what came out at the end of the assembly line looked nothing like righteousness, and all of them lived with this sense of impending doom because despite their best efforts, what they created was not much better and sometimes even worse than people that weren't trying to create it at all. In fact, it, some of them in, in their process began to like do their station, they handed the next thing, and, they, and if it broke, they said, well, that's your fault. I did my part. I'm, I'm righteous. What I did is good. What you, you destroyed what I did, so it's your fault. I, we would produce this if it wasn't for bad people like you on this assembly line. And all of them live with this, this impending doom, this fear that only a slave can know, that when our master finds out that we haven't produced what he's commanded us to produce, there'll be a penalty, there'll be a consequence. Let me tell you another story. Once upon a time, there was a good king that was powerful and wise. And he didn't have a factory to produce righteousness. There was an orphanage to which he visited. He fell in love with a little boy that just captured his heart. And with a royal proclamation, he pointed his finger and he said, you, you are to be my son. 
And when the son nodded his head, not really knowing the fullness of what he was agreeing to, he left the orphanage and came to live in the palace. It was strange. It was new. He had no manners. He'd fought for everything he'd ever had in his life. He, he'd beat you if you were in his way. He had anger as a weapon. He had manipulation. He knew how to manipulate and lie and coerce. And that's the way he'd been safe all those years in the orphanage. But patiently, the king began to help his son understand that's not who you are anymore. Eventually, as this child grew into a man, he learned the ways of the kingdom and the heart of his king. And he became a son. One day the king came to his son. He said, I'm preparing to go on a long journey. And I won't tell you when I'm coming back. All I'll tell you is that someday I will. But in the meantime, I, I put you in charge of this kingdom to rule as an heir, as my heir. The royal signet ring upon your finger. You have authority given by the king to, to make proclamations, to bind things and to loose things and to bring about my will. I'll be back. You'll see me again. So this isn't like farewell forever. This is, I've, I've, I adopted you from something, led you through a process, and now you're, you're not just an orphan. You're my son and you're royalty. And I release you to do what you know I would do in my kingdom. That's the difference, guys, between a slave and a son. Does that make sense? Are you getting this? A slave has this ever-impending fear that sooner or later I'll be found out. And the son has a never-ending expectation that I get to wake up again in the grace of my king. As he patiently teaches me to walk like royalty, to speak like royalty, to think, chapter 12, like royalty. I know where I came from. I know that the wages of, of my old life would have been death, but the gift of my king is eternal life. And it is my honor to serve my king, to present his values, to, to love as he loved me, other people that are just as unlovable as I once was, to be merciful as they learn to walk as I've learned to walk. Can an orphan become a son? Can a son become an heir? Can, can an orphan become royalty? Somebody help me out. Yeah. And so that's, that's the process. And some might be here today and say, well, that's nice and all, but my life doesn't feel like a fairy tale. I want to bring you back to one last thing and I'll let you go, and that's the suffering part. Yes, it's true our God is a king. Yes, it's true he's, he's pronounced adoption upon his children. But it's also true that the kingdom we live in is at war. Can I say that again? Because I, this is in heaven, and we have to hear that. Because it's surprising sometimes when a doctor or a lawyer or a good friend or a boss or a spouse or the IRS says things that, that feel like, like, like if hell knew exactly what to say, that's what they just said. Bad news. So, Jim, isn't it like if I become a Christian, everything's going to be okay? Yes and no. Um... Yeah, everything's going to be okay in the end. But there will be a season in all of our lives that, that's painful. Anybody experienced that yet? Well, good. Aren't you glad it's behind you? I'm not saying wait for the next one. Let's expect it. Let's expect the goodness of God. But let's also understand this isn't heaven. Let's also understand this isn't hell. This is that place in between heaven and hell. That, and this is where we live. And this is what's happening in our lives. One saying, trust me. One saying, don't trust him. One saying, I love you. One saying, he didn't love you. One saying, I got this. The other one saying, no, he doesn't. One saying, go back to the orphanage and, and manipulate and control and be angry and all the things of the flesh. Just, just you know? And one saying, if you can trust your king, your king can get you through this. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We've talked about this really the whole time through man's perspective. 
But there's a last portion of scripture I want to read to you that's from God's perspective. We're going to change from what I see to what he sees. Look at this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The foreknowledge of God, that he's the alpha and the omega, he created time and space, but he's not controlled by it. He's at the end and at the beginning right now. The bubble of space and time does not control or confine our God. How does he know prophecies? Because he's there. So knowing what our free will would do and be exercised in, he prepared a destination for those who would choose him. Does this make sense? Well, if it's predestination, then my free will means nothing. No, 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 no. He prepares a destination for those he knew would choose him with their free will. Does this make sense? Those he foreknew, if it's, if it's just he predestined, that's different. But those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That's not a pleasant process sometimes. That's not transformed. That's pressure. That's molding. That's heat to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Talking about Jesus. And those he predestined, that's not the end of it, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Just if I'd never sinned, he created that dynamic in my life. Those he justified, this is going to be a stretch. Keep chewing, keep chewing. He also what? He glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God's for us, I pity the fool who's against us. He who did not spare his own son, that's how committed he is to this and to you, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Jesus is in on this too, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. No, no, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's calling out your name before the Father day after day, morning after morning, hour after hour. Don't forget Kyle. Don't forget Jim. Don't forget Dina. Father, this is the, he's literally in his presence speaking your name as I preach this sermon. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, guys, neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present, things future, stranger things, nor any power, not height, not depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. Come on, will you feel this right now with me? Will not will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> All right. Stand up, but don't leave. Stand up, but don't leave. Stand up, but don't leave. Something I like to say when people are baptized. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I go under and they come up. I love to just look them in the eye and say, welcome to the family of God. You're going to like it here. Jesus didn't die just to get you out of sin any more than God sent Moses just to get people out of Egypt. There's a promised land. And yeah, there's a lot of fighting that happens in the promised land. There's giants. There's fortified cities. There's issues in my life, issues in the world. 
and I'm fighting all of those things, but I'm not fighting them alone. I'm fighting from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And I know that there are things that would try to come and bring back that sense of condemnation and judgment that I wouldn't even call on the name of the Lord because he's the one that I've grieved with my actions. But there, there's no condemnation for Jim Wiegand because Jim Wiegand's in Christ Jesus. And regardless of my responses and my perfections and my imperfections and my choices, I'm a son. I'll fire an employee, but I would never fire my son. And I'm not talking about from this staff. I'd fire, say a guy's mowing my lawn, he's digging it up, he's messing it up, he's run over the sprinkler head, I, you're fired. My son runs over the sprinkler heads, tears it up. I don't say, get out of my house. My lawn is more important than you. Would you just hear one last thing for me? What you do for your heavenly father, the king, will never be more important to him than who you are. Close your eyes. Father, I pray for a rest, a Sabbath, a celebration combined with a ceasing where our hearts are inclined once and now for all, forevermore, God, to be at peace. On my worst day, you're better than I'll ever need. On my best day, you're prouder than I'll ever know. What I do, what I don't do will never, never make me more or less loved any more than my son doing a, getting an A or getting a B. Well, I love my son who got an A more than my son who got a B. No, I love my sons. The grades I care about, but my son and his identity and my family is so different than the performance of my son in, a, in an effort uh, to get good grades. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, let the revelation of not just being saved, but being sons and daughters. Not just being sons and daughters, but being heirs. Not just being heirs of God, but co-heirs with Jesus. Everything in authority, everything in power, everything in wisdom, everything in relationship you gave to your son, Jesus Christ, we are now heirs of as well. Jesus did miracles. All your kids can do miracles. Jesus knew the truth. All your kids can know the truth. Jesus moved in signs and wonders. All your kids have signs and wonders. Jesus never doubted even to the place of crucifixion. Your love and his place, all your kids, all your kids. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. 90 seconds, I'll release you. You're here right now and you didn't know this. You're here right now and you've heard these words, but you've never had an encounter with this truth. You're here right now and this is your first Sunday and you have no idea what we're talking about, but something's stirring inside of your heart that goes, this is real. I'm gonna give you an opportunity in, in 60 seconds to join me in a prayer of just talking to God about the condition of our hearts, our faith in who he is, our desire to know him more, and, and a giving away of our past, our history, and a receiving of our future, our, our destiny. If you're here right now and you're not right with God, but you want to be, I mean, you want to be, this exercise is for you. It is not for me. When faith is simply an internal mechanism that has no external expression, it's like being married but never going on a honeymoon. There, there's more than just a vow. There's an experience. If you're here right now, this is the beginning. This is the first kiss, literally. It's, it's, that, it's that, the beautiful act, the beautiful first in your life with Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to count to three. When I come to three, everybody that wants Jesus, your first kiss is just to raise your hand. 
and just in your heart, I'm, I am doing this. My faith is becoming action. It's not just something I know. I want this to be someone I am. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed without hesitation. Nice and high, without shame. You're not going to go 80 and make her come the other 20. It's not a hitch moment. It's a Jesus moment, all right? Right now, I want, I choose, I prefer, I give my life to Jesus. One, two, three. Raise your hand all over this room. Yeah, I love it when they go nice and high and nice and proud. Not ashamed, man. Not ashamed, not afraid. I, I was born for this moment. Jesus died for this moment. Jesus rose from the dead for this moment. Anybody else? Anybody else want to join them this morning? Just one last little whatever. Father, I thank you for those that have raised their hands and opened their hearts to the greatest king of the universe. You're not calling us to be slaves in a kingdom. You're calling us to be sons and daughters in a family that happens to be run by a king. And I pray right now, God, your blessings on us all. Follow me in this simple prayer. If you don't know what to say to God, if you do say it, if you don't, join me right now. Would you all over this room say this with me? Jesus, I choose you to be my king. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me the heart of the Father. Let my life be a reflection of your love. Let it mean more than I know. And I'll see you soon. One last thing. Never do this. Kind of tried a little bit not to. But you. I was praying this morning, just over there worshiping, and God, I just wants to speak a word over you. Is that okay if I do that? And it wasn't supposed to be private. It was supposed to be public. So hold your mama's hand, all right? This is the word. It's courageous. You're courageous. I don't know what words have been spoken over you. I don't know who said what. I don't, and I've tried not to say this, and I do want to say it publicly, but you're courageous. I, you need to say that over yourself because you're just more than maybe you think you are or maybe more than somebody has said. or Like, you got guts, girl, you know? You, there's something inside of you that's bigger. Um, that God just wants you to know he sees. So can we just, Father, we pray over our sister right now and the courage of the Holy Spirit to fall upon her that affirming words, um, words of life, words of just peace and joy and identity, God, would be spoken over. She is courageous. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but that's her new nickname is, is guts or courage or courageous one. Or maybe there's some Greek thing, but that's, that's her identity is courage. She's a woman of courage. She's a lioness. And I just pray, God, over, this, over my sister, this lioness, God. And I just bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, altar workers are coming forward, and we would love the opportunity just to pray. If you came in the day with a need that hasn't yet been met, that's cool. You know what I mean? But we would love to make sure before you leave here, everything that's in your heart that God needs to hear about has been prayed over. So altar workers, come on up here, and they're here to pray for you this morning. If not, go get your kids. Go back to your barbecues and swimming pools. Next week, Pastor Adam Cook, breaking bread in the house. You're dismissed. God bless you.